you guys can take your seat. Well, if you guys want to uh, flip with me to Revelation chapter 5, we're going to continue in our series that we've been, we've been going through, the book of Revelation. And so um, we've gotten through the letters, right? We've gotten through um, the letters and then Chase preached on chapter 4. And um, t- so tonight I was thinking about, you know, how am I going to introduce this message? How am I going to introduce and, and try and connect you, try and hook you into this message, into what Revelation 5 has to say? And in all honesty, I've spent over a week trying to come up with some sort of analogy, some sort of story, metaphor, anything to, to help us understand and, and hook you into Revelation chapter 5. But I couldn't think of a thing. And the more and more I thought about it, the more I was like, why can I not think of, of something, of some sort of analogy or story to try and hook you in? And I think the reason is that no analogy I could think of did justice to the main idea of Revelation chapter five, that the conquering lamb is worthy of all praise. No image or story is a picture of the hope that Revelation five offers. And so I think by way of of introduction, God's word is sufficient. And so for introduction, just listen to these words. They're not gonna be on the screen. Just listen to the magnitude of these words. Starting in Revelation chapter 5, reading in verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures, uh, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that is true. We thank you for your son. Lord, I pray tonight that every person in this room would see the magnitude of your glory, see how worthy you truly are, and leave this place in awe of your worthy. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this passage. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, like I said, we've been going through Revelation, and if you weren't here last week, it's important that you know where we're at. Revelation 4 and Revelation 5 are intricately connected. Now, by way of, or for, for reason of, of time, Chase and I couldn't do this in one message. 4 and 5, that's a lot of text to get through. But, it's important that you know this is connected. They're extremely connected. So if you weren't here last week, chapter four is, is, the, is this vision of the throne room. And so Chase has explained to us really, really well and broken it down that four and five, what's happening here is this is what we would call the intermediate state and the intermediate heaven. 
So this is the heaven that exists at this moment, that if you died as a believer tonight, this is where you would go, this intermediate heaven. Now, it's not the eternal heaven, the new heaven and the new earth, but this is the intermediate heaven. And so he broke down a lot of these things of the, that God is the center of heaven. That's why heaven is good. Heaven is not good for, for riches, for the, the golden streets, for wealth, for money, for anything, any other reason other than that God is there. So that's, that's where we're at. And so think about how any good story, any good movie you've seen, it's, it always has to introduce you to the setting, right? Of where are we at before we get into the story, into what's going on. You can think similarly of Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. Four, chapter 4 is going to give us this image of this is where we're at, the throne room. And then chapter 5 is going to carry us into um, this, this story of, of the scroll and the lamb. So that's where we're at. And, and the first thing that we're going to see tonight is that we need someone to be worthy. We need someone to be worthy. If you look in, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, so we're about to get into the sections of Revelation where you're like, what the heck is going on, right? So we've, we've been in the, the letters to the churches, and you're like, I think I can follow, but now we're getting to the sections where it's like, okay, there's a scroll, seven seals, like, what, what does this mean? And so, but we're going to break this down more and more as, throughout the next couple weeks, but first of all, when we get to chapter 1, the, the scroll is the central point of, of verse 1, right? And so the scroll, this is what Chase and I would agree what the scroll represents. Now there's different, um, there's different interpretations of what the scroll means, but I think in light of what we're going to read here and in light of what we're going to see in chapter 6 and, and following, the scroll is going to represent the culmination of all history, what will need to be done to bring history to its appointed conclusion. So what's written on the scroll is the fullness of, of blessing and the fullness of judgment. So that's what this scroll is representing. The, the, what, the things that need to happen to represent the culmination of all things. And so, again, like I said, this is based on what we're going to read in Revelation um, and following and what we're going to see tonight. And so um, just a, something to think through of if this scroll is representing the culmination of all things, the end, um, what, what's going to bring time to its appointed conclusion. If the scroll is never opened, right, because this is saying there's a scroll and you have to open it, it's, it's sealed. If the scroll is never opened, history is never brought to a final conclusion. So if history is never brought to an end, then, then there's, nothing after, there's nothing after death, there's no purpose, there's no point, and, and the, the thought there is if there's no purpose, no point, you can just live however you want. So that's why it's important to understand that this scroll is important. Because if this scroll is not opened, then there's no purpose and you can live however you want. That's how, that's how much of this world views life. That's how much of this world and the, and the people around you view, view life. That all that there is to life is the life you live right now, so live it up. Right? That's the world. That's what the world's going to tell you. Live up life right now because you've got, if you're lucky, 90 years, right? Maybe less. So live it up to the fullest of potential because they don't realize that the scroll will be opened. So, so this is the, the setting, right? This is what we get. We have the scroll that, that's gonna be important and central to the chapter. And now in verse two, it says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice 
who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So this angel, he's asking, who is worthy? Now the question begs, worthy of what, right? Like there can be people who are worthy of things, but not worthy of other things, right? Like if you're a really, really good baseball player, you're worthy to be in the MLB, but you're not worthy to be the president of the United States, right? Those are two different categories. So we have to know worthy of what. And so if we remember, this, the scroll is representing the culmination of all things, the, the end of all things, fullness of judgment, fullness of blessing. So the one who is worthy of, to, to break the, the seals and open the scroll is the one who is to be worthy, is, is the one who is worthy to be the central point of all history. The one who is worthy to be the central point of all history. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean like the exact middle in the time of all history from beginning to end. But what, what I mean is that from beginning to end, everything is based around this one person. And so this is who is, who is worthy to, to be the central point of all history. That is a big task. I can't be, I'm not worthy, you're not worthy. And so the angel's asking, who is worthy? So that's, that's where we start. And then if we read in Revelation chapter three and four, we see uh, Revelation chapter five, verses three and four, here's what they say. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This is, this is huge. John looks around and he finds no one worthy. No one is found worthy. Now, if you're like me, when you hear the word worthy, and if you're even some sort of like a Marvel fan, who do you automatically think of? Thor. Thor. There we go, right? All right, so, I, you know, it's easy to think about Thor. So, I was thinking about, you know, this idea of no one being worthy. If you've seen the second Avengers movie, um, there's this scene at the beginning before everything breaks loose. All the Avengers, they're just hanging out, Right? What, they're, they're all just hanging out, and they're like, let's see if we can lift this hammer. Now, the thing about Thor is he has all these powers, but he also has this hammer. And the thing about the hammer is it's got all of these powers. He can wield it super strong, all these different things. I don't know all the details, but it's a pretty dope hammer. Um, and so, the, but the thing is, only one who is worthy can lift the hammer, right? That's the, that's the whole thing. Only one who is worthy can lift the hammer. So they, they all go about trying, and you have all these different superheroes. These aren't just like average Joes. These are superheroes, super strong, super smart, and all of them, they try and grab, they pull nothing, right? They cannot pick it up. And then there's a little thing, Captain America picked it up. Well, we're just gonna talk about Avengers 2, right? We don't gotta talk about the rest of that. But, so no one other than the one who is worthy can pick it up, right? No one other than the one who's worthy can pick it up. So that's this idea, no one is worthy. So when John looks around and he says, no one is worthy, that includes you. That includes me and all of us. And, and the reality tonight is that some of you are living like you are worthy. Like you are the central point of history. Like you, like the world revolves around you, like life is about you. And in reality, no matter how, how good you are, if you've never missed church in your life, how good you are, how many good deeds you've done, it, the reality is that you are not worthy to be the central point of all things. And so if you're like all these other superheroes, right? They had all these strengths, all these powers, all these, um, they were super smart, all these different things, right? But they couldn't lift the hammer because they weren't worthy. In the same way, 
You can't open the scroll. You can't be the central point of all things because you aren't worthy. And, and I know the Thor uh, reference, it's a fun movie, but, but this is real. The consequences of you not being worthy have eternal consequences. It is huge that you understand that you are not worthy. You can never do enough to be worthy. And why does this matter? Like, why, why should we care? Well, John cares. Look at his response. He weeps. Not only, he sees this, he sees that no one is worthy and he falls down on his knees and he weeps. He cries and he's like, no one is worthy and I have no other response but to fall down and cry and weep because no one is worthy. So why does he respond like that? Why does he care so much? Let's think about this. If no one is worthy, this is, this is what it means if no one is, is worthy. It means that all of the Bible's promises do not hold true. If no one is worthy, every promise in scripture does not and cannot hold true. So think about John. Who is John? He was a Jew who was holding to these Jewish beliefs as, as, a, as, a, as a young young man, and then he was called to be a disciple. So he staked his life on this reality of the truths of scripture, on the reality of, of giving up everything for Christ, of giving up everything to follow the one who is supposed to fulfill all of these promises. So that's why John weeps, because every single one of these promises will not hold true if no one is worthy. So just for an example, for example, what some of these promises are, there's the promise in Genesis 3 that, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. There's the promise that the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah and in the line of David. There's the promise that the Messiah would be pierced for the transgressions of sin in Isaiah 53. There's the promise that the Lord would remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And ultimately, all these culminate in the promise of salvation, the promise of salvation in a Messiah. And so John, when seeing that, that there's no one worthy, his response is to fall down and weep because what does he think? He thinks he has wasted his life. He has suffered for Christ, he has suffered by being persecuted. And where is he now? He's exiled on Patmos on an island by himself going, it's, it's just him, right? He's exiled on this island. And I don't, if I was exiled on, on an island, I would go crazy. So John is, is suffering for all of these things he's lived for. And so he staked his life on Christ and on the promises of scripture and he sees that no one is worthy. And he, so he sees his life was pointless. That's why he falls down and weeps. Because he, if no one is worthy, the life he lived was pointless and he suffered for no reason. That's why he is hopeless and weeping. And if, if, the, if the case is that there is no one worthy, then we are all hopeless. Because you're not worthy, I'm not worthy, no one in here is worthy. So that means that we are all hopeless. Hopeless without anyone worthy. So this is the reality that we need someone to be worthy because I'm not you're not no one is worthy but as we continue to read we're going to see this truth and and praise the Lord that Revelation 5 does not end at verse 4 but verse 5 is coming and we're going to see that Jesus is the only one who is worthy so look at look at Revelation 5 verse 5 with me and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered 
so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I'm gonna read that one more time. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So verse five, it tells us to behold, for Jesus has conquered. This is our hope. There is one who is worthy and his name is Jesus. And he uses these, this Old Testament language, the, tr- the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So what do these mean? What is the point of these things? So lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, they're phrases that are rich with Old Testament background. We need to know our Old Testament to fully understand what is, what is John saying? What does this mean that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, So in Genesis 49, when Jacob is is blessing his sons, Jacob, um, also known as Israel, right? He says, Judah is a lion's cub, hence where we get lion. The scepter, being like the kingship, shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute come to him. And to him shall there be the obedience of the peoples. So basically the promise is that that the kings shall come from Judah, that the kings of Israel will come from the line of Judah, from the tribe of Judah. And eventually, all people will praise not just the, the kings in the line, but the king from the tribe of Judah, the singular one king from the tribe of Judah. Now, the, the root of David. So the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied, about, he prophesied about the righteous reign of the branch from the root of Jesse. Jesse was, was King David's father. And in 2 Samuel, the Lord himself promises to bring about the Messiah through the line of the kings from the line of David. And so another way, this is just another way of declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Messiah that has been promised from from the, the line of Judah, from the line of David. This is saying the promises are true. The promises that you had believed in, that you had hoped in, they are true. Jesus is the one. He is the king from the from the tribe of Judah. He is the king in the line of David. And and what this is showing us is that the scripture's promises hold true. And just a, a quick note that I want us to see. If you went back to Isaiah chapter 11 where it, it prophesied about the branch from the root, notice that that's not exactly what it says in, in verse five. It says the root of David, not the branch from the root. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is the root. Think about what comes first, a root or the branch? It's the root, right? The root grows and then branches grow off of it. And so this root is referring to what comes first. So in Isaiah, he's prophesying about a branch. So what's gonna come after the root of David? But then here we see the root of David. So this is a both are true. Jesus came after David in the line of David, but Jesus also has been in all eternity. He was the root, he was the cause, he was what led David and in his line to be kings. He is the root of David's kingship and his ultimate kingship following David. And so we see this reality that Jesus is not only in the line of David, but he was the beginning of the line of David. It is all found in him. And so what do these come together to tell us? Showing that all of the Bible's promises do actually come true. That there is no more reason to weep. John, there is no more reason to weep because First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, that all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him being Jesus. These promises of scripture are true and we can hold tight to them. 
And this is, this is what we put our hope in. We don't put our hope in this world. We don't put our hope in, in, in ourselves. We don't put our hope in anyone else. But we put our hope in these solid promises of scripture that come true in, in the one who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the root of David. And why do we, why do, we do that? It's because he has conquered. So what does it mean for Jesus to conquer? Ultimately, this is the gospel, that before all time, Christ had a plan to bring about reconciliation from sin, to bring about a, a people to himself. And so he came not as a, as a conquering king, not as a king coming to, um, to, crush, uh, to crush the people of the world, but he came as a humble baby. And then he lived a perfect life, a life without the stain of sin, a life that you were unable to, that I was unable to, a perfect life. Not a single thought was wrong. Not a single thought was against someone else. Not a single thought was sinful. Not a single action or word was sinful. And if we, if we dwell on that for just a few minutes, how crazy is that, that Jesus lived the perfect life, the life that was unstained by sin. And if, if you lived a life unstained by sin, you would think, you know, you're, you're pretty good. You wouldn't have to uh, do anything else. But what did Jesus do? He died for the satisfaction of the sins of the whole world. Not just, he, he didn't just live the perfect life and then go on his way. No, he lived the perfect life and then he died for the satisfaction of sins, knowing that you could not live the perfect life, knowing that I could not live the perfect life. And then after he died, he rose again from the grave. He rose again victoriously conquering Sin, death, and the devil. And, and what has he done? He's promised to come back again as the king to bring in the new heaven and the new earth and show his glory to the world. That's, that's what it means for Jesus to be the conquering king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And notice he has a purpose in his conquering so that he can open the scroll. So Jesus has conquered so that he can be the central point of history. The reason by which he came is not just um, to, to, um, to live the perfect life, just to do these different things, but the reason by which he came is that all glory would be due to him, not to anyone else, not that anyone else will have glory, but that glory will be for him, that he will be the central point of history. And, and notice real quickly, verse five, who asks or who says, Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's an elder. If you remember last week when, when Chase was breaking down um, chapter four, the elders are identified as God's people. These are God's people um, from the old covenant and the new covenant. And so I think what, what this is meaning is it's, it's interesting that it's an elder here. And I know this might be kind of technical, but, but hang with me. It's important. It, it's interesting that it's not an angel. It's not anyone else. It's, it's an elder. And I think what this is showing us that in the same way that God used an elder, being the church, his people, to tell John this good news, we as the church are responsible to share the hope of the message of the gospel, which is the worthiness of Christ. So this is the call to you. As, as someone who is following Christ, share this message, that, that Christ is worthy of all praise, he is worthy of all honor, and we should give him that honor. Let's continue on in verse six and seven. It says, and between the throne and four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb 
standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So if you're reading this, you see there's a lamb standing as though slain. That is a interesting picture. Have you ever seen a lamb that looks like it's been slain, but it's standing? No, that's like ridiculous. If you've ever seen anybody who looks like they've been slain, slain they're, they're on the ground dead. But this is a lamb who is not dead. This is a lamb who is standing. He is alive and well. That's the picture. That is our hope. Our hope is that the lamb of God who has come to take away our sins is no longer slain, laying down dead, But the Lamb of God who has come to take away our sins has risen victoriously to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat the devil, to defeat the grave. And that's our hope. Our hope is in this, in the conquering Lamb who is risen, who is no longer slain but is standing. And there's there's a whole lot of background that we could go into, but but this this is our hope from beginning to end, that there will be a Lamb who is slain for our sins. From the Passover where there was a lamb's blood that was, that was slain to, to, uh, to not allow one of the sons to die. In the same way, the blood of the lamb has covered us so that we may not die, but so that we may find life. So he came first as a lamb, but then he says he has seven horns. That's a, we're gonna see the number seven. We're gonna see a lot of words like this, horns, eyes, these different things, spirits. So horns, in the, in the Old Testament, often represents military might, military strength. So I think what this is telling us is that Jesus, he came first as a humble, meek, lowly lamb. But when he comes back, he will come again as the conquering king. The entire world will know that he is coming back. When he comes back on the white horse, we will know that the king has come, that his, this world is his. He is the king. It is not us. We are not worthy. He is worthy. And that is the truth. And we see that Jesus has the fullness of the Spirit, seven spirits, and, and all these different images telling us more and more about who Jesus is. And possibly my favorite part in this entire text is this. It says, he went up and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So God the Father is seated on the throne in all of his glory. And Jesus, he walks up to the throne and he takes the scroll. So why does that matter? Why is that important? So he walks straight up to the throne without an argument or discussion about it. And he takes a scroll from the Father and this gives us such sweet insight into the person of Christ, of who Jesus, who the Lamb is, and specifically the reality that Jesus is God. So think about Isaiah chapter 42a. It says, I am the Lord, this is my name. My glory I give to no other nor praise to carved idols. So the Father, this is, this is the Father saying, my glory I give to no one else. The glory that I deserve, I will give to no one else. And what is the, what is the reality, what is the purpose of, of the one who will open the scroll? They will be the central point of history. They will be the, the one who, who glory is given to. They will be the one whom glory is, is deserving to. And so if if this was anyone else but God walking up to the Father, then the Lord would say, you cannot open this scroll because you are not worthy to have the glory. But, but this truth is that because Jesus will get the glory, 
When Jesus gets the glory, God gets the glory because Jesus is God. And that's, the, that's why this is so rich. That Jesus is not just a man. Jesus became full humanity, but he is still fully 100% God. And, and then we see the response. So we've seen that we need someone to be worthy. We see that Jesus is the one who is worthy. Now, what is the response by every single being? It is worship. So this, this third thing we're gonna see is that we need to praise Jesus because he is worthy. And I'm just gonna read the response that we see from, from the worthiness of Christ. Starting in verse eight. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. What a picture this is. The response, not just by a few people, not just by some people, but the response by every creature in heaven, on earth, in the sea, under the earth. Every, they go through every single category that you could even imagine. And the response by every single one is to fall down and worship. So this is the response. To worship the lamb for he is worthy. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, the countless numbers of angels, every single creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, in the sea, they fall down. And this is an incredible picture. Every single one of them is falling down. And the reality is that every single one of you will fall down and recognize the glory of the Lord at some point. Will it be now while you are while you are here, while you can repent, or will it be when it's too late? When you have died and when you see the Lord in his glory and you realize you lived for yourself, you thought you were worthy. And your only response is to fall down, but you will receive judgment, not eternal security and hope with Christ. So our hope is in the conquering lamb, not in ourselves, not in anything else. And so worship is the response tonight. Worship is what we are called to do. So what are some avenues that worship is shown here? Well, the first is, is prayer, right? It talks about in chapter eight that they fell down. There was these golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of the people of God on earth right now. And, and Chase is gonna get into what this means more in the next, in the next couple of weeks. But the reality that I want us to see tonight is that prayer is worship. Prayer is admitting that you by yourself cannot do it, that I need intervention 
from, from the Lord who is holy. I need intervention from someone outside of myself. I'm no longer trusting in myself and admitting that the Lord can do immensely more than I can and immensely more than I could imagine. That's what prayer is. And they sing that Jesus is worthy for a few reasons. They sing he is worthy for he was slain, right? We've hit on this. We've hit on this. He is worthy because he is slain. And in his slain, when he was slain, he took the sins of the world. And then we see he is worthy because his blood ransomed people for God. And not just people in the United States, not just people in Europe, not just people in a specific portion of the world, in big countries, but no, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Our God is a global God. Our God is one who who cares about the ones that we don't know exist, but he cares for them. This is, think about Nick and Bethany, right? They're not in Nicaragua just just for, for fun, for no reason, right? They're in Nicaragua because they realize that the Lord has called people from every nation, including Nicaragua and every community in, in that place. And, and they are going out to gather those whom the Lord has called to himself. And not, that might be the call for some of you in your life, to go out and gather people for the glory of God from every, from every people and tribe and language and nation. That's, that's who God is. He is global. And then, and then look, it says, he has made... He has made the redeemed a kingdom of priests. So, so those who he has redeemed from every tribe and language and nation and tongue, he has made a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? A priest is someone who mediates the blessings of God to the people around them. And so if you are a believer tonight, that is your job. Your job is not to, to you know, act like a good, to just do um, simple things, but your job is to mediate the blessings of God to the people around you. That looks like sharing the gospel. That looks like um, good works in the name of the Lord. That looks like obedience and prayer. And so to show the people in each of your contexts, in your sports teams, in your school, in your classes, whatever you might be in, to, to mediate the blessings of God to those people around you. And, and then we see that there's numberless angels that join in. Angels that we cannot count. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands join in the song proclaiming that he is worthy to receive all power, all wealth, all wisdom, all might, all honor, all glory, and all blessing. You and I don't deserve any bit of power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, or blessing. Every single one of those things belongs to the Lord. So what is the response? What is the application? What does that look like? Well, I think it looks different if you're a believer or if you're an unbeliever. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for your life, then what, then what you are to do is to behold Jesus's worthiness, that he was the lamb who was slain but is now standing, and, and hope in him, not yourself, for eternity. Realize that you are not worthy and hope in him for eternity. And if you're a believer tonight, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, the call for you is to worship him, to see him in all of his worthiness and realize that he deserves to be worshiped. He deserves to be praised. And how do you do this? Prayer. 
take time in your day, get away, and, and spend time with your Father. Spend time in prayer, interceding for the people in your lives, for your family, for your friends, for this church body. Come to the Lord with every prayer and petition because he can do immensely and immeasurably more than you could ask or even think. So come to the Lord in prayer, realizing that you can't do it by yourself, but you worship him by coming to him in prayer. Worship him in song. As we, we, we have song every Wednesday, every Sunday, right? We worship the Lord through song. And I know it's easy you know the words, go through the motion, maybe put your hand up as a, um, just to look like you're worshiping, but truly worship. That may look like, you know, putting your hand up. That may look like closing your eyes and meditating on the words that are being spoken. I don't know what that looks like for you, but truly worship the Lord through song. The next thing is to worship the Lord through evangelism, right? We talked about how the elder um, is the one who shared with John this message of the gospel, this hope of the Lamb. So are you doing this? Are you honoring the Lord by sharing your faith, right? We set the goal at the beginning of the year to, to, have, to have 50 people come to Christ. And I don't know exactly where we're at, but I know you guys have been doing a really good job. Continue in that. Continue sharing your faith. Continue spreading the truth of the gospel that Christ is the worthy one. That the people around you, they may think that they're worthy. May they, they may think that they're good enough. They may think that their good works can get them into heaven but they never will. It's only the worthy lamb who can. And finally, you worship the Lord by obedience. You see the words in scripture and you obey them. That gives the Lord honor and glory. So tonight we're gonna have the band come back up and we're gonna do um, a, a little res a response. And if you are an unbeliever tonight and, and you've seen that Christ is worthy and, and you've been trusting in yourself, we're gonna have some leaders in the back um, just to, to have a conversation with you, to feel, um, and if you need to repent and come to Christ, we're gonna have leaders back there um, to do that. And then if you're a believer tonight, worship the Lord and sing that he is worthy. Meditate on these words, sing these words, that he is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word that is true. We thank you that you are the worthy one. We thank you that you are the God from, from beginning to end who has been, had a plan to make your son worthy. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these students tonight. Lord, I ask that if there is anyone in this room who is trusting in themselves, not you, that you would make them aware of that and let them see you in your full glory and, and honor and, and give their lives to you. We trust you and we thank you for your word that is so, so good. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.